Okay. I uh, am preaching sermon, what I call sermon number two. It's one I preached at 8 o'clock. So uh, if you were here and heard that, you, you have permission to leave if you don't want to hear it again. Uh, but this is sermon two. I preached sermon three uh, at the last hour, and uh, sermon four will be tonight. They all, they all fit together with the same theme of living proof. Um, and I do, I do want you to hear them all. Uh, and I know they're going to be recorded. And the reason is, uh, last night I talked about authentic lives, that that's the foundation. We've got we've to have an authentic life. And the fact that uh, we, uh, we're not talking about perfection. Uh, there are no perfect people. Uh, so I was talking about honesty, just honest lives. That's what I was talking about. The watching world, by the way, uh, they know better than that. They know we're, there's no perfect Christians. They know that. But they are expecting honest Christians. So that's the foundation last night. But the three sermons today uh, could be gone, taken in any order, but they're all three things that we could do, every single member of this church. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to talk about prayer in a minute. Uh, today I also talked about your story. That Everybody here has a story that is the most powerful thing that you have in your toolbox for evangelism. And, uh, but this, this sermon is called Living Proof Through Powerful Prayers. And uh, I just want to kind of remind you that it's kind of some good news that God is our co-worker. If you look, Paul talking to the Corinthian church, he just reminded them. He said, your job is to plant the seed or to water the seed. It's God's job to make it grow and to bring a harvest. And uh, this, that's why we, living proof is not just for paid ministers. And this is not about James and Ken <clears throat> and being a clergy, a professional minister. They're the ones who are supposed to do evangelism. This whole sermon series is about every single believer uh, is an evangelist. And, and so I'm trying to give you some, some tips of things you could do. Uh, Charlie Ferguson, you might know him, he's a campus minister. He always said, everybody is a somebody in Christ's body. And I just like that idea that everybody has a ministry. And if you've been baptized into Christ, you've been ordained to ministry and the ministry of evangelism. And, and it's just nice to know we're not alone. Uh, I love the definition by Kevin Ford. He says, evangelism is cooperating with the Holy Spirit to bring a person one step closer to Christ. Isn't that good? What's your job? To cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God to bring a person one step closer. It's not your job to transform people and to change people. Uh, and I just, I just want you to think about it. And today we're going to talk about prayer. And I want you to think about the fact that we talk about so many things about prayer, and prayer is our way to connect with God, with evangelism. But we pray about, you know, we pray about travel plans, which is okay. We pray about the sick. We had prayer time today, and we talked about people in this church that are sick. Uh, we pray about God give us wisdom and guide us. We pray for fin our financial situation. All those are good. But do you pray about salvation? Do you pray for other people's salvation? Do you pray evangelistic prayers? That's a, that's a question of the sermon. I had a student of mine... I love to learn from my students. They just pointed out in the Lord's Prayer, you know, the model prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He said, isn't it interesting that he, he said to pray first for God's kingdom to come and later in the prayer was asking for your daily bread. But I'm thinking, how do we pray? A lot of times we pray about our own physical needs and things before we are praying for God's kingdom to come and to pray for salvation. So if you, if you want to fill in the blanks in your bulletin, you can. I'm going to talk about four different things about praying. The first one is praying in Jesus' name. And uh, I'm going to read John 14, verses 12 through 14. 
says, I tell you the truth, anyone, this is Jesus speaking, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. It's kind of a bold statement, isn't it? You do greater things than Jesus. Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. This sounds kind of audacious here. Think, he said, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Wow. Now, I know this passage has been twisted sometimes by people with some bad theology. And there is some bad theology out there. It's kind of like, you know, if you tag on the phrase, in Jesus' name, you can get the bigger house and the better mortgage and the better car. And, and that's really not what... The question is, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? And it's not about our selfish requests. That's not what it's about. It's about what, what does God want to do? And uh, I know I'm just going to give credit right now to someone that I need to give credit to. Uh, Greg Pruitt wrote this little book. Uh, Greg is the, the president of Pioneer Bible Translators down in Texas. He was a Bible translator in West Africa. Um, and I, I don't say this lightly. This is the best book on prayer I have ever read. It's very small. It's called Extreme Prayer. And what's so cool about this prayer, this book, is he, he talks about very specific points, and some of them are in my sermon today, about, about how to pray. How do you pray the prayers that God wants to answer? And this phrase that I just read to you is actually repeated five times in the book of John. It seems like something that Jesus repeats five times, he probably wants us to believe it. So the question is, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Somebody said, well, if you just pick up the Bible and start reading it, you'll pick up pretty quickly that people's names mean something special. An example would be uh, Abraham. Actually, before God changed his name to Abraham, his name was Abram. And it was a good name, Abram. And the, the name Abram means exalted father. But then God said, I'm going to change your name, Abram. I'm going to call you Abraham. And that phrase means father of multitudes. And it means something. It's very specific. Well, what about the name Jesus? Yeshua, Jesus. And I'm just curious... Does anybody know what that name, I mean, literally means the name Jesus? What, is it, what does it mean? Anybody want to raise their hand or shout it out? I heard a few things. It means the Lord saves. It, it actually means Yahweh saves, or God is salvation. Jesus' name literally means salvation. God saves. That's what his name means. So I, I get kind of get goosebumps when I start thinking about this, praying evangelistic prayers which are praying prayers for salvation for other people, that you are praying in Jesus' name. You are praying exactly what God wants to answer. Does that make sense? Those are powerful prayers when we pray evangelistic prayers. And, and when you think about praying in the name of Jesus, it means having faith in Jesus. It means uh, believing that the things that Jesus is doing, He wants us to do, which is salvation, bringing people to salvation from, that are lost. And, and for the sake of all this is for the sake of bringing glory to the Father. So I just want us to discover what kind of prayers are closest to the heart of God that He wants to answer. And, and I want you to think about prayer isn't just talking. And prayer isn't just asking. I think prayer is also listening. 
And I think as we pray to God and we listen to what he says to us, he gives us a greater understanding of that person we're trying to witness to or the situation, and then we can even pray better. So praying in Jesus' name is trying to find out what does God want us to know about salvation and what is, how does God want us to pray. An example prayer would be something like this. Lord, help me recognize how you are working in this other person's life. Show me how I can join you in what you're already doing in their life. Remember I said God is our co-worker? He's our co-worker. And, and it just makes sense to pray. I'm, I'm praying in Jesus' name that you would show me something. Show me how to pray. And show me how to act toward this person. Show me what I should pray about them. But I, I just want you to really kind of drill down on the idea that when you pray salvation prayers, they're powerful. Let's look at us, 1 Timothy 2, the first four verses. Paul says, I, I beg you, he says, I urge you, First of all, that requests and prayers and intercession, what's that word intercession mean? Praying for other people. Does it make sense that we would pray for other people? We would pray for their salvation? That we would pray that they would come to know Jesus? Intercession. And then, and then thanksgiving be made for everyone. Everyone. And he says, for kings, pagan kings, for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. If you stop at verse 3, you might be tempted to think we should pray so we would have a nice, quiet life. But I don't think you've got to the point of the passage yet until you read verse 4. Because verse 4 is talks about the God's nature. It said, we serve this God who wants all men and women, it's a word for mankind, to be saved. That's the kind of God. We have a God who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So praying in Jesus' name, praying salvation prayers is powerful. That's just point number one. Let's go to point number two, and that is praying with others, with other people. In Matthew 18, verses 19 to 20, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus is speaking. He says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree, uh, what's the word amen mean? It means I agree. It means so be it. It means yes, I agree. Amen. Yes. And I love it when two people or three people get together and pray salvation prayers for other people's souls. And you just amen each other's prayer. I agree. I agree. I agree. I don't know how to explain it to you guys, but I just think something powerful happens. And Jesus said, where two or three of you gather in my name. He said, if two or you on earth agree about anything you ask for, like like someone's salvation. It will be done for you by my Father in heaven, for where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. And, I, and I'm not saying God breaks someone's free will. That's not what I'm saying, because God respects our free will. But there's something powerful that happens when two or three people get together to pray. So my challenge for you in this sermon, I'm, at the end I'm going to give you some very specific challenges, is for you to not only do this by yourself, but maybe you get a prayer partner. Maybe in this church, get at least one or two other people that you could pray these things together. Look at Acts 1, verse 14. It's a short verse describing something very powerful. They all join together constantly. This is after Jesus' resurrection. They, they, in Jerusalem, they join together constantly in prayer. It said, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, they were praying. And what happened after this prayer? 
they had a huge baptism service of 3,000 people. Can you imagine being in a baptism service where 3,000 people get baptized? It'd be pretty exciting. And that is the day of Pentecost. That is the birthday of the church. And they were joining together in prayer, and God's Holy Spirit came in power. Could he do that again in Taylorville? People joined together and prayed in the name of Jesus prayers, salvation prayers, and they did it together? Point number three is actually one of my uh, favorite points, is pray specifically. Pray specifically. And by the way, I do have some guys I pray with. Uh, every Thursday morning I pray with Mark Weber, our preacher at Mount Pulaski, and we pray for other people in our church. And I can go into that prayer meeting with another person really discouraged and tired, and I don't know what it is about praying with somebody, but I always walk away encouraged. And I just want you to think of somebody to be a, become a prayer warrior with you. But I also want you to pray specifically. And uh, I, uh, Greg Pruitt made, a, I think, a very profound reflection. He said, he said, when we pray general prayers, and a lot of times we do, don't we? We pray kind of general prayers. He said, you never know when God answers those prayers. Interesting. I mean, you just you pray them, and you, God, please do this, and God, please do that, and they're kind of general, and you, ne- you never know when he answers. But if you pray for something very, very specific, you know when God answers. This is a powerful thought, and I want to, I want to give you some tips on how to pray uh, specifically. And I'm very indebted to my friend David Butts, who leads a prayer ministry called Harvest Prayer, uh, for these next points. Uh, he gave biblical specific prayers to pray, and I want to give them to you. The first one is John 6:44, and Jesus said, "No one can come to me." Jesus is talking. Nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day or at the last day. I think it's very wise to pray for specific individual people by name. And there's a prayer that I pray a lot. It goes something like this. Father, please draw my friend Frank to you. This is a real person. I'm thinking of Frank as my friend. He lives in Mount Pulaski. I'm not going to tell you much more about him publicly. But he's not a believer. And I pray for Frank a lot. And one of the very specific things I pray, according to this verse, is, Father, draw him to yourself. I don't know exactly how God will do that. I just know that God does that. And once again, he doesn't break our free will, but God woos people. God pursues people. And I think it'd be very specific biblical prayer to pray, God, draw this person to you. Does that make sense? Go to the next one. is in John 16, 8. Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Guys, I want to say really quickly, convicting people of their sin is not our job. You ever tried to do that? You ever tried to tell somebody to clean up their act? Get their life together? You ever tried to make somebody feel guilty for their behavior? That's not your job. Not if you're a parent, maybe it's the job of your kid, but it's not your job in salvation to, to convict somebody. Does that make that's, that's a Holy Spirit's job. That's not your job. And so, but I do think it is your job to pray for conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I think you can think of very specific people today that you would pray these salvation prayers, these in the name of Jesus prayers, and you pray for them by name, and you say specifically, Holy Spirit, 
Convict them of sin. Convict them of their need for you. That's a specific way to pray. And then another one is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4. Paul says, and even if our gospel, the good news of Jesus, if it's veiled, like it's, it's like behind a blind or it's veiled, it is veiled to those who are lost, who are perishing. And he says, the God of this age, who's that? Satan. That's a, that's a term for Satan in Scripture. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, of the, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And if you guys got a friend that maybe you've been hoping would become a Christian for a long time, and maybe you've talked to them and different things, and it's like you just can't believe they can't see it. I can't believe they can't see it. I mean, you can see God working in their life, and you can see God doing things, but they just, it's like, it's like God's right in front of them, but they can't see him. I think there's a good chance that what's happening is Satan has blinded them and has put blinders on them. And so I just think it's a very specific biblical prayer to pray this, this verse and just say, God, please remove the blinders that Satan has put on them. It's a specific way to pray evangelistically. Another one would be uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, our weapons, have divine power to demolish strongholds. Think about that phrase, to demolish, to obliterate, to bring down a stronghold. He said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I think it would be very specific for you to pray for a specific person by name and pray that the strongholds in their life be broken down. And I think you need to be specific about the strongholds. And some of you know what they are, because you know the person. You work with them, and they're in your family, they're your neighbor, and you know their stronghold is pride. Maybe they just are so proud that they don't need God. Or maybe their stronghold is lust, and you know that they've been, they've been sexually immoral in some way, and you know that that's the stronghold in their life is lust. Or maybe it's, maybe it's materialism and greed, and you just know, you just know, because you know them. I think you should specifically pray against that stronghold of Satan in their life. And by the way, if you don't know what the stronghold is, why don't you pray that? Why don't you say, God, would you please show me what is the stronghold of sin that is in this person's life so I can pray against it that it would be demolished? Make sense? Very specific. Very, very biblical prayers. And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to get really specific about names of, of people. And I'm going to tell you something that's kind of hard to talk about right now, and I I have to be careful because I don't want you to misunderstand me. But uh, David Butts tells a story of two brothers. One's a believer and one wasn't. And, and the believing brother decided to pray something very drastic against his brother because he knew the stronghold in his brother's life. His, strong, his brother was a businessman, and, and he was so in love with his business, and his business was his God, and making money was his God, that the believing brother decided to pray specifically that God would make his brother's business go bankrupt. Now, I'm not telling you to pray bad things happen to people. I'm not saying you pray that. But he, he, he felt led to pray that way. And he prayed that his brother's business would go bankrupt, and it did go bankrupt. And he hit the, he hit the ground, he hit the floor, he, he came to the end of himself, and, and he looked up. And he ended up accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. 
And to this day, that, that brother whose business went bankrupt, he thanks God that his business went bankrupt because he could have been a successful businessman and go to hell for eternity. He thanks God for that. Now, I'm not saying you have to pray that way, but I think, it's, I think maybe you can pray, God, get their attention. Or David Butch says you can pray Jonah prayers, kind of like, God, if you have to send a big fish to swallow them up, if that's how you got to do it, then, then do it. But then he says, but when the fish spits you up on shore, we're praying for a soft landing. You know, you can pray any way you want to pray, but, but if you're serious about people that you love and you want to see them in heaven and you want to pray salvation Jesus prayers, Jesus' salvation prayers in Jesus' name, and you're very specific about people, you might even get that specific. Only if you feel the Lord leading you to do that. I'm not talking about praying for something bad. I'm actually talking about praying for something good to happen to that person. Their eternal destiny. Uh, I was really uh, very uh, happy about our president, Don Green, at Lincoln Christian University. He, uh, he read this book. Actually, I, I asked him, I said, Don, have you read this book? He said, no, I've heard Greg speak. And I said, man, you need to read this book. And just last week, I asked the president to read it, and he, he read it over the weekend, and now he's bought several copies and giving them to friends. It is the best book on prayer I've seen in a long time because it's so biblical and so practical. And, and this idea of praying specifically, Don Green just, just sent out a prayer challenge to all the faculty and staff and students and constituent churches, and I'm going to give part of it to you right now. And I'm actually begging you to do this. He said, we need 137 new students in the fall, next fall, in order for us to meet our budget and not have to cut faculty and other problems. 137 new students. And he said, uh, that's what we need to be able to offer this 20% tuition discount that Lincoln's doing right now in order to try to get new students. And he said, he said we are going, he's calling everyone to pray very specific for 137 students. And I'm going to ask you to pray for that, if you will. Uh, put it on a sticky note somewhere. And guess what? We're going to find out if God answers that specific prayer in the fall. But everybody's praying for it, 137 students. And we're not trying to manipulate God. We're just praying for something very specific, and we're going to be able to tell whether he answers that or not. And I, I want you to pray so specific with names, with prayer requests, and not just specific. The next point is I want you to pray persistently. And this is also another scriptural theme, persistently. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, Paul says, pray continually. Um, and by the way, you remember the King James Version says, pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in, in Christ Jesus. I, I love the, the little booklet that they've written about Brother Lawrence. He was a monk who was alive 300 years ago. And the title of the book is Practicing the Presence of God. And that's what Brother Lawrence always did. He, you know, it's this idea of when your feet hit the floor in the morning, the first thing you do is pray. And you thank God that you woke up, and you ask God to lead you through the day. And then you talk to God all day long. You're, you're trying to practice His presence all day long, no matter where you go, no matter what you're doing. And then the last thing you do tonight when your head hits the pillow is you, is you say goodnight to God, and you say a short prayer to God. But you've talked to Him all day long. I love this idea of praying continually without ceasing. Uh, also, if you, if you go to Galatians 6, 9, 
It just says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I went to kind of prayers that don't give up. Uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, Back in 1999, I was walking on the sidewalk to the Timothy Center where I have my office, and I ran into a former student named Jeff Gentry. I don't know if you know Jeff. And Jeff had just taken my course on personal evangelism a couple years later, earlier, I'm sorry, 1997. And he said, Mr. Nichols, I want to tell you something. I said, what's up, Jeff? He said, well, you challenged us in class to to pray specifically, and I had a a high five list, which I'll talk about at the end of the sermon. And he said, "I, I put my grandma on that list and other people, and I've been praying for two years, and he said, and he said, just last month, I, I baptized my grandma into Christ, and he just, he just was so happy and so joyful, and he prayed for two years. I, I was reading a book by uh, Dutch Sheets. It's called Intercessory Prayer. It's a really good book. It's full of lots of stories, but a lot of those stories are people that are praying, literally for years for someone, and so this doesn't play very well in America, does it? This doesn't play very well. This idea of persistent prayer. For years, and, and, and actually Dutch, Dutch Sheets talked about that, that we, we basically, we're a fast food culture, we're a microwave culture, we're an instant everything culture, and sometimes our prayer life is kind of like that, we expect like some instant answers. Maybe God wants to do other things in us and through us if, he, if we're persistent in prayer. So what I'm talking to you about today, I'm not talking about a one-shot thing. I'm not talking about a weekend revival where, oh yeah, I'm going to pray this weekend. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about persistent prayer where you pray continually all the time, every day, for years, for the salvation of people. Because it matters. Because it matters for eternity. I, uh, I do a lot of praying wherever I go, and I want you guys to do this as well if you don't. I do a lot of praying when I'm walking. I even used, when I used to walk my golden retriever. I used to pray walking around the high school and the grade school in Mount Pulaski, and it would be prayer walks. Uh, I do a lot of drive-by praying. Uh, I've got this old beat-up uh, Taurus uh, that's got 230,000 miles on it, and, and it's got this thing that the Ford Motor Company calls a sunroof. Uh, I call it a prayer roof. And I literally open it up uh, just as a trigger to remind myself to pray drive-by prayers. And I drive by people's houses and people that I know, very specific people, and I pray for them in these drive-by prayers. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to try to challenge you to get some specific names of people to pray. And I don't know what triggers you need. Maybe you need to put their name by your speedometer, or maybe you need to put the name on their refrigerator, or, or maybe on your bathroom mirror. But very specific names of people that you pray for, uh, I just want you to think about that. And in uh, Colossians 4... We're not going to re- put this one on the screen. It just says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's what I'm talking about, devotion to prayer. Uh, my preacher, Mark Weber, uh, a couple weeks ago, was preaching through Mark, actually several weeks ago now, and he was, he was in Mark 2. And you guys know the story of the, the four friends who carried that one guy to Jesus and even cut the hole in the roof. And, and Mark asked a question that just kind of got me down here. He said, how determined are we to get our friends to Jesus to get healed? Isn't that a good question? How determined are we to get our friends to Jesus to get healed? And I would ask that today, how determined in our prayer life? And, wh- and why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more? I, I think sometimes we don't believe in it. 
And then we should just pray that honest prayer, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith to believe in prayer. Um, uh, what if somebody had videotaped your life the previous six months? I'm not trying to scare you because I don't think anybody did. But let's just, say, let's just say somebody did videotape your life for the last six months. And then they made a reality TV show that uh, is title of it is, is, Are They a Person of Prayer? And America gets to vote. And they get to watch your life for the last six months. And it puts up on a big screen. People watch it in America, and then they get to vote. Does he believe in prayer? Does she believe in prayer? That's a little different than sitting here in church on Sunday morning and saying, hey, how many of you guys believe in prayer? And you raise your hand, well, of course I believe in prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about raising your hand. I'm talking about, do you believe enough in prayer and the power of prayer and evangelistic salvation prayers that you would be willing to pray for specific people over a long period of time that they would come to know Jesus? That's a different question. And I know we have some problems. And part of one of our problems is uh, we treat prayer like a last resort, don't we? You ever caught yourself saying, well, we tried this and then we tried this, and I guess all we can do now is pray. Think about that. David Butts has a story. He said that would be like saying to a soldier or a soldier who is uh, going into battle the next day and he's, and he's kind of lamenting the fact he doesn't have a good weapon. And he says, I don't have a machine gun and I don't have a hand grenade and I don't even have a good knife. All I've got is this uh, nuclear bomb. That's what, we, that's what we're talking like when we say that prayer is a last resort. Another problem we have is we think prayer is a precursor, don't we? We think it's a precursor to real ministry. And we pray before we go on a trip, and we pray before we teach a class, and we pray before we eat a meal, and, and pretty soon we're thinking that prayer is something you do before the main event. That's not biblical. I love Oswald Chambers has a quote. He said, prayer does not fit us for the greater works. Prayer is the greater work. And I really am praying that, that you guys will grab a hold of this because some of you are like, Mike, I don't know how to be an evangelist and I'm afraid of sharing my faith. And I just want to say, you can pray. You can pray. I know you can pray. Every person in this church can pray. And it could change eternity. It could change Taylorville. And I, and I really do want you to make... Uh, a high-five card, if you want to go with a high-five and, and, and list five specific names that you will put on a card and you, or where you can see it all the time and you'll carry it with you and you will pray continually as long as it takes. Or maybe if you want to do a high-five, do a top three. Just do a top three, three names, three people. If you don't want to do that, let me tell you one that's actually really powerful too. It's just one. And I want to tell you, this is a true story. I kind of got goosebumps when I heard about this. This happened in, in Manchester, New Hampshire, in a Christian church. Manchester Christian Church. I don't know if you've heard about this or not. But they have been growing in the last few years by leaps and bounds. This is Manchester, New Hampshire, one of the hardest spiritual soils of unchurched people in America, is in New England and in New Hampshire. And a guy by the name of Bo Chancey, he accepted the call to be the senior minister. And here's what he did at the Manchester Christian Church. He said, I challenged every member in our church to pray for one. That was it. Pray for one. And they've been growing like crazy. And they ended up having a second, third, third service, a fourth service. 
They were running about 2,000 people. They started to do two satellite churches. Now they're going to build a new building to try to house the growth. And I did this one I just read in 2014, last year, they had 502 baptisms. True story. 502 baptisms. I think it is a direct result of the people in that church praying for one person. I think everybody took him serious. And everybody started praying for one person. Are you willing to do that? To come up with a list? Uh, maybe, maybe you want to pick a day of the week. I, I, have a, I pray for different prayer requests on different days of the week just as a trigger. I pray on Tuesdays because of the T. I, I use the word T and Tuesday to remind me that people are treasured. Like I said last night, that God wants them to come home. That they're not just lost, but they're treasured. And so on Tuesday, I have a whole list of people that I'm praying for every Tuesday. Maybe you want to do that every week on a certain day. Maybe you want to do it every day. Maybe you just want to pray for one person for as long as it takes. Or maybe three people or maybe five people. But I want you to get specific. And then I want you to dream. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. I want to ask a question. What would happen if all the members of the Taylorville Christian Church began to pray Specific, unified, persistent prayers, salvation prayers. And by the way, that is not the church. That is not Taylorville Christian Church. That's just a building where we, the church, gather like we are today. Next slide shows you where the church is tomorrow. This is where the Taylorville Christian Church is meeting from Monday through Saturday. And this is just a representative. This is not even exhaustive. All those stars represent places where the Taylorville Christian Church is from Monday to Saturday. And you think for a moment about all the occupations that are represented in this church and all the places you live and work. And then think, what if everybody in the Taylorville Christian Church took this challenge and started praying for one person or praying for a high five list of people and you just prayed as long as it took specific, unified, persistent prayers? What could God do? What would God do? That's what this revival's about. It's about reviving us to be evangelistic beyond these four walls. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray for this church. We know it's not a building. Father, we want to be living proof wherever we go. We want to be living proof of your love and of your grace, and of your transforming power by the way that we pray for the lost. Father, turn us into prayer warriors for the lost because we know that you want them to come home. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe today as a...